0: Welcome to MindLocks. This is Rabbi Jeremy Marquis. And we are very excited. It's a special MindLocks episode. Uh, We're sad that Rabbi Josh Buchan can't join us, but uh, we are very excited for our dear friend, Rabbi Becca Walker, uh, who will be joining us. Becca, tell tell our listeners a little about yourself.
1: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Um, I am currently living in East Lansing, Michigan. I'm the Hillel Rabbi at Michigan State University and also the Hillel Campus Alliance of Michigan, which are some small um, Hillels around the state. And I just moved from LA. I really love trees and I spend a lot of time on social media. So thanks for letting me be a part of your podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Becca,
2: do you think that there's a Correlation between your love of trees and your love of social media like where do those two meet and intersect Nice, good question
1: Well, I do find myself so I was walking in the trees the other day And (laughs) I kept wanting to snapchat them and then I was thinking about in what ways because when I get excited about things I want to share them with people, especially when I'm alone. I want to be like look at these trees Um, But then sometimes I wonder if it's like taking away from my experience. I don't know
0: Uh, Becca do you want to put your uh, Snapchat username so that people can follow your amazing snaps?
1: Sure. I'm not sure what it is. I think it's like <laughs> this is this is u s. All
0: right. We'll we'll add it. We'll add it in the show notes. So if people I'll want to follow you, I'll it. tell you right now. <laughs> okay.
1: Thank you, <laughs> All right,
2: Jeremy, keep talking while I find her name.
0: Uh so uh, Becca was in one of, uh, was our, was our classmate in rabbinical school. She is, uh, amazing. We're really pumped that you're here. Will you tell us the, uh, best thing about your move to East Lansing?
1: Whoa, the best thing about my move to East Lansing. I think, I mean, I think like I moved for the job and I really love it. I really, really, really love working with, um, college students, which is what I do. And it's just been really fun to kind of get to know people out here and, uh, live in the Midwest, which I never have before, so it's been a little bit of a culture shock in some ways, but it's been fun.
0: I see through the... Oh, and
1: the... fall. And fall, sorry. Fall rocked so hard.
0: I see through the window that there's snow in the background. Is uh, is uh the you, How much snow is there in, in East Lansing right now?
1: There's actually not that much. It's been kind of warm, so most of it's melted. But the sun came out for the first time in like three days, so that's pretty exciting. Okay, I
2: found Eka's name. Uh, it is yeah. this is Becca W, and you have, according to this, I don't know what the measurement is, but 10,028. So I'm curious in yours, Becca, it looks like you are either like chopping like with your teeth or you're saying something, but I can't figure out what what it is. Do you know what you're trying to say?
1: Um, I think I was just doing different poses for the camera, and I guess it looks like I'm eating something. (laughs) Yes, it does. Okay. What can you you do? I think this is a perfect...
0: (laughs) I think there's a perfect pivot to our first segment.
2: <laughs> pivot, pivot. Uh, yeah, sure. Segment number one is given all of us in the transition into the rabbinate that we all recently graduated, I am curious how much you guys have felt in response to your relative lack of, not relative, lack of age. That's a weird way to describe it. But being young, <laughs> uh, I guess given, given that we're all in different kind of settings, and especially, Becca, given that you're with college students, I imagine the dynamic is really different. But uh, what, where do you guys feel that it manifests? What what kind of stuff do people say to you and how do you kind of negotiate that dynamic? I don't know. Whoever wants to start can just jump in and we'll go from there.
0: I'll start. I'll start. Um, I have gotten an inordinate amount of questions of my age since being here. Uh, maybe it's just Pittsburgh age is different than la there's a different age breakdown i've heard a lot that it's a really older it's a much older city most people think i'm somewhere between three to five younger years younger than i than i currently am right so i'm 28 and i've often gotten 23 which is pretty strange i don't think people know exactly how rabbinical school works and how long (laughs) it is but um yeah i've gotten a lot here just at least on the number part of it
2: what about you becca
1: Yeah, um, it's actually hasn't been as much of an issue for me as I thought it would be. I look very young. Um, Regularly, I get confused for a college student here. Definitely, like average age, people think I am is around 20. Um, And in my past internships, when I was in congregations, I definitely got a lot like, what? Like, how can you be a rabbi? You're too young. And I think also being female, like I can't grow in a spirit like some of you have. So it's... It makes it even harder. That's mostly yes, Josh. He's spirits. not here. <laughs> <laughs> but I think actually the co- the students that I work with have been really open to me. And I think in some ways it actually helps because I look relatable because I look like them. And so it's been really refreshing that I've been able to kind of embrace my looking young. And it's a part of my Robinette, Um And, and it's, it's nice to not have to always be kind of trying to prove myself that I am old enough to do this. Yeah,
2: that's nice. A true. Yeah, it does definitely play to your advantage. I would imagine being being where you are kind of making you more relatable. Um, Jeremy, how do you, I guess, how does it make you feel when you get that, you know, are you 23, 24? And do you take it kind of as a, I need to try harder to be more r- rabbinic as a result of that? Or do you, how do you, how do you deal with it?
0: I've tried to lean into it, I think is the approach that I've given. I mean, I, I'll say like, no, I'm 28, you know, some sort of way of uh, being self-effacing. And then I try, I'm a, I would say that I have a lot of energy and I'm a excitable kind of person. And so I, I lean into it. So that I, you know, I say that I'm young and I'm excited. I'm just out of rabbinical school. And I, I try and use it not to my advantage. I don't want to say it that way, but just that that's a good thing that I'm bringing something to the table that other people <clears throat> aren't per se. Adir. Yeah, that's, it, that's a nice spin. In a, in a in a more uh, conventional setting uh, where you might be doing life cycle events do you find that your age has made a difference there
2: um, in the in the sense that what that I have gotten more opportunities to do life what's the connection with life cycle events, I'm I guess. thinking particularly funerals yeah I mean I haven't had you know one of the I guess, blessings and curses of being an assistant rabbi with where the senior has been here for a long time is like I don't really get much opportunity to do many life cycle events cuz most people don't want the new guy to be part of whatever the intimate moment is. Um, and that's that's nice because it opens up my schedule more but it also is not as kind of nourishing in the sense that I can do stuff and learn things. Um, but but I certainly get I get the comments often. I get a lot of, you know, how old could you possibly? Eat? But and the funny thing is it's even from the the younger people here. And it's all relative because the youngest people here are probably you know, mid to late thirties with a couple kids. And, and I feel like we don't have so much in common, uh, but, but they're the most relatable people and they see me still as this really young person. And I think that's also about not just age, but kind of place in life. Um, so that's a, that's another complication of it. And that's, that's what it's about being in the suburbs. I mean, no one moves here when they're 29, uh, even people who are married, uh, or partnered in some capacity are generally still in more of a city-like urban atmosphere.
0: With that in mind, do you find, and this is to both of you, do you find that socializing in settings where ages are drastically different than your own, maybe drastic is too strong of a word, but where age, the the primary age is not yours, do you find it hard to socialize?
1: Uh, I was I've been thinking about this a lot, actually, because I... So most of the time I'm I'm with primarily with college students so that's a very limited age. And actually I was thinking about kind of the rarity is to naturally be in spaces that are really are mixed ages. And so usually you can go to a space that's either like a lot of people your age or a lot of people who aren't your age. Um and I was actually at a retreat recently where it was truly a variety of ages and it was actually really refreshing and nice because I can relate to people of all different ages and we all are part of this like life experience. Uh, and it's cool to be able to t- talk to people who are older than me and hear from them about what they're going through and kind of what's going on there. Even though I wouldn't necessarily approach them if it was just a random group of people, I wouldn't necessarily approach the, the person who, I would probably approach the person who looks like the most similar to my age. Um, I've been kind of reflecting on this a lot, kind of as this like larger is like what, what is that, indicative of and kind of is it is it an ageist thing are we all like or are we just grouping are we tending to group towards just people who have the most similar experiences as us? i don't know just lots of questions
2: Your questions are good nothing wrong with that <laughs> damn you rabbis too many questions <laughs> i'll say one of the things that i feel uh occurs often and this is kind of fun for me is that I think because people see me as younger, they don't expect necessarily the things that I say, the content that I share. Um, to, I don't think they expect it to be relatable that they're going to seem like, what's this 29-year-old know about the life I've lived or the complications in life? And I kind of like it when I'm able to, to share something or preach something that people really say like, oh, wow, like you you know something about life. And, and that's a cool, like kind of, you know, put the feather in my cap feeling because it's nice to be able to surprise people when it comes to that, the age thing.
0: Yeah. Break expectations kind of thing. Yeah.
2: I like it. It's a, it's a bit of a challenge, I think in a good, in a good way, but but I don't have anybody here who I connect with socially. That's, that's what I wanted to say to your first thing. I mean, I wouldn't say I've had any, I mean, I went out probably a month and a half ago with the kind of younger guys that are here. They wanted to take me out for beers. And they were—they were all again. They all had kids, and all probably right around forty. And it was fun, but you know, coming, especially coming out of graduate school, where you're really with mostly like-minded and like-aged folks, where you kind of create this bubble of a of a social circle. That's that's been a that's been a rough transition, I would say, to to kind of lose out on that, even if there are kind of these artificial social gatherings that exist.
0: What about you, Becca?
1: What in terms of socially? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think there are definitely students I interact with where I think to myself, if you weren't a student that I'm working with right now, like I would totally hang out with you. There are definitely people who like I would love to be friends with, but kind of there are those boundaries that I, I need to hold. My coworkers workers are pretty around my age, if not like a little younger. And so that's been nice to have that peer group. Um, but yeah, I haven't really reached out to people beyond that and do
2: you feel like that was something you created for yourself this idea of of maintaining some sort of separation or was that given to you or dictated to you by the organization on the whole that you should kind of you know as much much as these people are not so far away from you in age try to keep a social life where obviously not with all of them but i feel like there's i know i'm thinking about it how much harm could come from finding like one or two people who you really connect with and you want to, you know, have dinner with every once in a while or whatever outside of the context of your professional work.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that there, there it is somewhat from the organization, but a lot of it I think is also personally like thinking about how do I want to conduct myself professionally. And I think especially when it tying back into the age, because I do look so young and, and I am young, um, just making, having those boundaries and saying, yes, I'm young and i can hang out with you and we can talk about whatever and also i'm i'm your rabbi and so how do i kind of put myself in that position it's with with some of these boundaries yeah i hear that
0: do you think this is uh a challenge for all rabbis all young rabbis rabbis who start new jobs um right i, I we have a friend you know the the group of us here uh, who lives in a town by himself, basically no one really his age, and he's the rabbi of the synagogue, All right? I can imagine how challenging that might be. Do you think that this is a truism that that's for every rabbi that's out there or every young rabbi, even we can, we can limit it to that.
1: Um, I mean, I've been, I've been thinking about this a lot. I think that I wouldn't say for everyone, but I think that in some ways, yes, we're working with people, but it's also almost a lonely profession in some ways because sometimes we're like more set apart um and if you're lo- if you're lonely
0: tweet us at
2: uh yeah Locks.
1: i'll i'll give i'll send you a virtual hug <laughs> there you or go. something <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a part of it is I think it can be lonely sometimes, but that's also I mean for me I think about this a lot. That's like the price that I pay for having a job where I get to connect with so many people and be in their lives and and be a support. Um and so I'm not sure maybe it's not a necessary condition of the job, but I've I've definitely felt it a lot here. But I also like just moved here and don't know anyone here, so.
2: Um it's interesting you bring that up the the language you just use, Becca. I was just having a conversation, not about this, but it came up with my senior rabbi this morning about how when you are a rabbi in a community, you are set apart, and how that, that is something that certain people like. Like they, they enjoy the fact that they are the rabbi, and there are different expectations put on them, um, and the life that they live is, is distinguished kind of from what, what the regular people are doing. Uh, and I feel like the gradients of that are very different where we are. Like in the community I'm in, The rabbi figure is very much a kind of pedestal-like character. Um, And I think people like the fact that the rabbi is this kind of higher level, more pious person. And I think as I'm thinking about it, because I feel like everything I'm learning here, I'm kind of putting in the back of my mind because it's going to be data for for whatever my future looks like. That's a model I would prefer the divide to be less stark in whatever I do next. You know, more of, of a blurring, not blurring, but a melding of those spheres. Jeremy, what about you over in over in Pittsburgh? I'm sure, you know, because there's a good amount of younger folks settling there. It's a growing city, I think. And you also have a partner who is uh, kind of going through this in her own different profession. How does that work for you guys? Uh,
0: I, I, I'm really fortunate right off the bat. She has a built-in social group because of her job working in a hospital and having co-residents and things like that. And we've worked really, really hard. In the six or seven months that we've been here to make friends explicitly to go out even though we're both exhausted uh, and we've really uh, benefited from that and we've built some really nice friendships and they're entirely divorced from my work and that's part of the way I've navigated that now I'm really fortunate my coworkers are amazing and I get a chance to to work with them and some of them are, are, are friends as well but. And a, a large portion of the friends that I have here, I don't work with. I don't interact with every single day, working in you know the office, right? Some, but not but not all. Most most aren't, and so I'm really grateful for that piece. That's part of, and so that balance maybe is different. Um, and having and and having a partner to be able to navigate these things with has been really fortunate, um, yeah. and and really challenging. In if. If you're in a place and it's new and you don't know anybody, that I mean, uh, that sounds really, really challenging. Yeah.
1: Sure. Well, I'm single and eligible, so <laughs> anyone out there is listening. ready to mingle
2: and <right>. likes <laughs> <Gita-mingle and laughs> yeah. Lansing, Michigan.
1: Hey, <laughs> I'll travel too. Nice.
2: <laughs> as love, as love will travel. Uh, here's a question I have related to this that just popped into my head. I have a really strong aversion to using my title when I like meet people or am speaking somewhere. And I found that to be a a kind of sticking point for people. A lot of people who I talk to when I introduce myself as Adir, they often say, no, I want to call you Rabbi Yolkut or Rabbi Adir, which if I have to, that's what I prefer. um, Because I think for them, Rabbis are rabbis, and especially when it's a younger person, it helps them bridge whatever discomfort they might have if they think this little, like, Pitzer is is coming in pretending like he knows what he's doing. Yeah, yeah Jeremy.
0: I, I want to ask a clarifying question before sure. you and, and Becca respond. Does context matter, right? Does being yeah. out in the world and seeing them at the grocery store versus at shul or, you know, in the building or something yeah. along those lines, yes. Does, yes. That, does
2: that make a difference? It matters to me a little bit, but I don't think it changes to them. Whether they see me in the movie theater, um, whether they see me at does some it sort change, of- does it, change it,
0: but it does it change it for you is the question I'm asking.
2: Yeah, I'm saying yes. I'm saying there are certain places, if I were speaking at some sort of, you know, I don't know, event about some religious event, I would probably say I'm Rabbi Adir from the Westchester, you know, Jewish center. Uh, and, and one of the interesting things I noticed, I took a bunch of teens to New Orleans this past weekend. I was one of the staff members, I did take them. There's a youth person who really ran it, but I was very happy that by the end of the trip, most of them were comfortable just calling me Adir, which I, I wanted to be the case. Um, even though many people in the synagogue, especially when I'm with the children, like it when I say Rabbi Adir, because whatever, it's helpful to construct this, their associations with me in that way, in that way. But I enjoyed, you know, because you lose some of yourself when you're a title.
1: Yeah, this is uh, something I've, I've thought about a lot and... Um, kind of coming to the Hello world, how I wanted to introduce myself and if I wanted to introduce myself and I think for me there's an added layer being a woman um being female there's it's it's even harder I think for people to see me as a rabbi um and and so having that title is really important because for me like a lot of people are are gonna be quick to take it away from me um and and so with that and thinking about that and how I want to do it, I do usually introduce myself. I go by Rabbi B because I really don't like Rabbi Becca. Um, so I go by Rabbi B. So when I'm introducing myself to students, I say, hi, I'm Rabbi B. Or if, if someone will introduce me and say like, oh, this is our Rabbi Becca Walker. I'll be like, hey, like call me Rabbi B. Um, and so I've been pretty clear about that's how I want to be called. Um, my coworkers know like they can call me Becca. Like if we're hanging out, I don't need people to be using my title, but it is important to me. Um, because I think it means a lot. Our titles mean a lot, and especially when I'm talking with a college student. Like if I'm getting coffee at Starbucks with them, I want them to remember, oh, like we're having this great conversation and it feels really normal. And I'm also having it with a rabbi and I'm connecting with a rabbi. And so using my title I think helps with that.
2: Mm, that's interesting. I know for me
0: that context really matters. I almost never introduce myself as with my title. I almost always introduce myself as Jeremy. When I worked at um, a camp over the summer, my role was camp rabbi and it was kind of a role that I carved out with the director and we, we navigated what that meant. And I went explicitly as rabbi Jeremy. And now when I work with lots of kids, elementary school and preschool kids, having the title really matters in terms of helping them place what that title can mean for them or what the person who is their rabbi means to them can be really useful. But I don't have any expectation of adults to do that um, because they can navigate what that means for them better. And I still have people who call me rabbi, not even with my name, which, you know, in the end doesn't bother me that much. People can call me whatever they want, really. Um, If it comes down to Rabbi Marquis or Rabbi Jeremy and they're like, we want to call you Rabbi something, I usually go for Rabbi Jeremy because it's much more casual. It's, It's more in front of what you were talking about, Adir. And then I think in contexts where I'm explicitly serving as rabbi, I'm—I don't know—context might be, but leading services or speaking or something along those lines. Uh, I work with uh, I work with teens on on the sun on weekends. That having explicit moments where they call me rabbi, I think can be really powerful uh, in a lot of the ways that you talked about, Becca. Right, in a lot uh-huh. of ways I worked towards it. I deserve to be called it in some way. But I would say we were
1: for, tired. Yeah.
0: Uh, But I would say most of the time it's not something that I personally feel like I need. Um, but but what, I think what you said, Becca, makes a lot of sense. You know, context really matters, and you know one's gender really matters in the history of that. It makes a big difference. Yeah,
2: that's true. Well, there there you have it. Three very kind of different, but also at various points related kind of perspectives on age. And the rabbinate and if you are out there and you are in the rabbit or you are not or you are young or you are somewhere not so young and you want to share your thoughts you know where to tweet us at mindlocks we're really interested to hear some of your thoughts um, and we're going to take a, a bit of a break now and come back to you with segment two
0: Welcome back to MindLocks uh for our segment 2. Uh what I want to talk about is a little controversial but not in a bad way uh about the protests and the protesting and kind of the climate around the election and the inauguration and kind of the that period in between. And just talk a little bit about I don't know what is our role to talk uh, should we be talking about it? Um, there's a rabbi who's speaking at the inauguration, presumably, um, the, we just, Adir and I were talking earlier about how the Ivanka and, uh, Jared Kushner got special halachic permission to, uh, to drive in a car on Shabbat and all of those, and all of those things. Uh, wh- where are you guys at with all of this?
2: Becca, you want to jump in or should I jump in? And you're shaking your head, so I don't know if that means like, oh, let me go yeah. off or... <laughs> I don't even know you what to say. You can go first. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll just say, because I, I was the one who kind of suggested this. You know, I found the conversation pretty interesting over the past few weeks or a couple months now. The, the tone that's been struck by what I would generally describe as people who are supportive of who uh, are soon to be president and who say to people who have been staging lots of protests from pretty much the time the election is over until uh, this weekend, which is like, get over it. Give him a chance or something therein, which I think is both short-sighted and hypocritical, because uh, clearly um, there's a protest doesn't doesn't mean you are not at some point going to be willing to give someone uh, a benefit of the doubt or be able to say like there is one policy initiative that I support or some decision that was made that you agree with, um, and also pretty much for like the past eight years, mm, yeah, all Republicans never really gave President Obama a chance and burned effigies and uh, waged uh, war online against him and all sorts of stuff. Uh, and he, by most objective standards, uh, was a pretty good president, depending on if you read real news or fake news, I suppose that would dictate. Uh, so I just find it really challenging to hear people say that.
0: I just want to add that I'm not sure that all Repu- we want to, to lump all Republicans into those who were burning effigies of our president. No, um, no, I, I just want to really make, I just want to make it clear. just suggest- Right. I just want to make it clear, you know, for our, for our Republican listeners.
2: Yeah. Reagan Democrats. I'm in, I'm into you.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I think that protest is a really important part of our political landscape and how we get things done and how we get our voices heard. Um, and i will defend people's right to protest and i think that even yeah that that's what i'd say about that i think also in terms of kind of people who say oh give this person a chance I think I think it does make sense to to protest for specific on a specific platform and the women's march does have like the women's march in dc and the other ones they do have a specific platforms which I think is great it's not just like boo our next president it's like here are some things that we are concerned about and that we want to see happen um and I think kind of along those lines one one of the things that's been really really like bothering me is There are so many articles of like predictions, like what's Trump gonna do or like, what is this person that he appointed gonna do and like, "Ah!" and I think, (laughs) and and for me, I've been thinking a lot about this actually in connection with um, doing this, this mindfulness retreat that I went on, because it's about like, not like worrying about the future so much like yes we have to worry and think about our future but to some degree all of these articles and i know when i read these articles i feel super overwhelmed about all of the possible things that could be done that they could do it's like they haven't done them yet um and so i think we can be ready to mobilize and we can mobilize for things that we know we need to mobilize for but also maybe on the flip side, are we causing ourselves too much anxiety and are we just overwhelming ourselves by thinking like, what is this person going to do? What is this person going to do? Because um, I just find that stuff like so overwhelming and it hasn't been done yet. So are we are we, could we be spending our energy in better ways?
0: I, I agree with with a lot of what you said, Becca, particularly the part about the importance and the protection of the right to protest and the right to say what you will. And and I think that extended for the last eight years to to your point, Adir. Now I, there is a distinction between you know the birther thing, which is which clearly has racist undertones, and burning effigies. Yeah, I I, pre- I would fight to protect someone's right. I don't think it's it's nice, but I would protect someone's right to do that. Um, I think one of the ways that I have been trying to engage is be really mindful about what what i'm reading and what i'm listening to right so i talked a couple weeks ago about cubanet 1600 which they're now that's a podcast they're now called pod save america you should go listen those guys a little plug those guys uh really have tried to talk about what it means to be uh, to do with this in a practical way Right to protest and to make a change in a practical way, and, and and regardless of whether or not you agree with their political opinions, I think there's something really powerful about engaging in the system. Right, that's that's what, one of the reasons why I feel like these the protests of various things are a po- are a positive thing. Right, I've been motivated to call my senators and my representatives in a way that I never I never did before, and I would encourage everyone who cares about something to to call their elected official, to tell them what you think. All right, For me, as an example, I called my elected official to tell them how important I thought the Affordable Care Act was. Now, regardless of what, you, you know, what other people think, it's really important to me. And so I made the effort to do that. And so I, I, I think it's a really good thing. It's a healthy thing for democracy. And I think the people who speak down to those people who are protesting saying, "Hey, just give it a chance or stop your belly aching or whatever." That that I think is an unhealthy response. That's the closing down of conversation. And I was talking and this is the last the, the last point I want to make. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday. And he was saying to me that he wants to get involved. He wants to protest, he wants to do activism. But because he happens to fall on the more moderate side, he's afraid. He's afraid that he will get squashed if he doesn't agree with the whole platform. And so I think in terms of activism and and protesting and stuff like that, we should be really intentional about being inclusive to not everyone who agrees with everything we think. And and to really do real dialogue, Uh, even with people who agree with us on some things and not everything. Um, particularly and so the last piece of protest i want to make is, is that point which is protest is for a purpose and the purpose is to share one's opinions and the the flip side of that is to then listen right even with the, especially to the people who we don't agree with uh, so I, i'm really i'm really for the the protest but but also to being mindful of, of what they're saying uh, regardless of, of the political background for it
2: do you think That one could argue that how the Republicans have behaved in Congress and the Senate over the past of the last years of President Obama's presidency could be seen as their form of protest in the sense of they're not really being willing to take on various things that he suggested quash his legislation, not uh, go through the nomination of Merrick Garland. I, I think fundamentally one
0: could make that argument. I don't I don't think that that's what they were doing. Um, and I don't think what they were doing is right because of their that, – that, that is, in fact, why they're there, which is to pass laws and to make American li- Americans' lives better. But, yeah, I guess you could make that argument, right, that saying, no, I won't uh, will uh, – you know, is a form of protest. I guess you could say even, if you want to go back farther, that um, the government shutdown – Led by Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz could be described as a form of protest, um, and I guess the question becomes: It's like a cost-benefit analysis. What's the harm versus the um, the the benefit? Uh, look, not every form of speech is protected. You can't say fire in a in a movie theater, right? You can't you know scream on loudspeakers, you know, at one o'clock in the morning. Um, so there are limits. The question is whether or not that that falls into that category it's a good question i've never i've never considered that before
1: i mean i think one thing that is different when we're talking about protesting and um and politicians let's just like broaden it to whoever is is where 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 does the power lie right like these politicians are the ones who are doing the voting and who can do they have that power um And it's really interesting when politicians who are who are elected to represent people are doing things that are not in the interest of their people, or their people, their constituents prefer them not to do, or you know, to do something else. And so I think that there are differences, and I think that a a protest is more about the the people, and I don't think in politicians are people too, but it's It's very different in terms of thinking about power and how do we use our power
2: well it's interesting you bring that up because and this feels weird because I feel like I am coming I'm arguing on the side of of the folks who were talking about which is not necessarily the case because I think that they weren't doing their jobs and that wasn't really a protest but if we use that dynamic, I imagine they would say something to you like yeah it is about power and and the president has the most power and the president wielded that power inappropriately and we have we have less power, and, and in order to combat that difference, we are going to not do all of this, all of this stuff. So that's, a, that's an interesting thought experiment to kind of play out if, if we are using that, although I generally side with you on, on what you just said. <laughs> <laughs> I think one a
0: twist on this uh, in terms of power and protest – which is many rabbis um, are given the uh, freedom of the pulpit right to basically say what they what they think without fear of reprise and so my question is do do rabbis who have strong political feelings regardless of what direction they're in should they be making statements i mean we talked about this a couple of weeks ago but in specific to protests, right not just talking in synagogue but doing activism even if their entire community wouldn't agree with it, is that something that rabbis should do? Yes. <laughs> would you like Would you like to elaborate?
2: No, or? I I just feel pretty strongly about that. Uh, like rabbis have ideologies and beliefs of their own, and I think there's a way to be able to split those from from what it is they're representing from their community, and to not allow a rabbi to do that, I think would be harmful both to the rabbi and to the community subsequently. So that that rabbi would have to do
0: it with with
2: the the not like
0: with the expression that they are doing it as a rabbi, but as a person and not as a representative of
2: their whole community. Yeah. Okay. And I think that's fairly simple, a simple way to go about doing
1: it. Yeah. Like that's what I do when I'm doing activist stuff is I'm not like, hi, I'm here on behalf of Hillel, you know, like it's not appropriate. Um, But yeah, I'm here as a person. And um, sometimes I'll use my title. I I sign something with, with my title um like with rabbi um but then i i didn't list kind of where i worked because it it it's not supposed to reflect on where we where i work um but yeah i think it's i think it's important to you know for us each to fight for what we think is right um for all people i think we should all be doing that um to the best of our ability
0: all right we will stay be
2: woke,
0: <laughs> stay, stay woke we we uh <laughs> with with that with that um uh eloquent little soliloquy uh rabbi rabbi b uh we'll be (laughs) we'll be right back for our third and final segment
2: segment we are in fact take suggestions from our many listeners many uh, we'd love to know what you think we should name it uh, something in maybe a, something maybe alliterative about media or maybe we'll use pop culture so the M's and the P's or any other suggestions you might have we're very open to it and I will open the discussion here by asking Jeremy who is going to kick us off assuming he is ready uh, what's what's been uh, on his screen this week that he has been entertained by I've been watching The Crown in the last number of weeks.
0: I haven't I haven't finished it, Um, but it's really good and it's so intense. So I can't watch it too much at once because it's so intense, but uh, it's awesome. And it's awesome to see in my Netflix. There is a whole section of strong female lead. Uh, That's one of the subcategories. And uh, and this falls into that one, to say the least. Um, So it's pretty awesome. It's really interesting to see the history and and to see this person become a, a world leader. And I, I'm gonna break the rules once again and add a second one, just as a callback to what uh, Josh said a couple weeks. Oh, <laughs> yeah, what Josh said a couple weeks ago about Zootopia. I got to see that this week. It is awesome. It is a great movie. Josh did not lead me astray. Uh, way to go! It's a great movie. It, it's, I enjoyed
2: it very thoroughly. That's a one for two for Josh because he did <laughs> lead me astray with Sausage Party. Anyway, oh. Becca, uh, yeah, weird, very strange movie. Becca, do you have one yet, or do you want to wait?
1: Yeah, Um, so I'm so I'm really into social media and Snapchat, and I have to recommend and I've done this before. NASA, you got to follow NASA on Snapchat. So interesting. So many fun facts. Um, My favorite one they did the other week was they talked about how air pressure affects the body and how as you go higher up into the atmosphere like the air pressure gets less and they demonstrated the effects on a peep and it was crazy. And I learned science and space and it's just cool. So follow NASA on Snapchat N A S A.
0: They also have a great, in- <laughs> they have a great Instagram feed too. Oh yeah. NASA.
1: Okay. So it like expanded as they took it up like higher, but then when they brought it down back to normal earth pressure, it had like shrunken in. So you can imagine Ooh what that would do to your body. It was and not they have good.
2: have peep-sized spacesuits. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they had a little pressure changer, chamber, yeah. Save the so. peeps. Save the peeps. <laughs> uh,
0: NASA, if you would like to uh, support the podcast, please let us know.
2: <laughs> yeah, looking for sponsors as always. We love space. You're um, going to need sponsors. That's true. We might need to give them some money, yeah. yeah.
0: Any Anytime <laughs> there's spaceships, I'm pretty much... You can count me in.
2: Yep. Uh, my show is also a Netflix-produced uh, production, and it was The OA. I finally got to watching it this week. And, I, you know, I have a complicated review. I think it started off a little slow. The middle episodes to the second-to-last episode were awesome. And I got the ending was a little bit of a bummer, um, which, which was overall kind of colored my perception of the show because I had high hopes that they did this cool thing where they didn't really say anything about it, that it was going to be released until the week before, which... Could have been because they didn't think the show was very good, Um, (laughs) but I like to think because it was kind of mysterious. That's what other folks have written online too. I'm not just bad mouthing them. I always have to read a lot of recaps because I don't understand a lot of shows. (laughs) Um, But it was parts of it were really cool. It was the parts of it that were about kind of storytelling and how do we how do we talk about our own journeys? Uh, And there's a lot of talk of both kind of near death encounters and what happens to us after death. And that's that's a topic that not a lot of kind of fictional shows tackle and it was a unique perspective and the visuals were cool and the acting i thought was pretty good some some parts of it need to be worked out a little bit better but but uh if you're into that kind of thing kind of sci-fi thriller uh fantasy ish stuff i would check it out the oa on netflix
0: nice nice well uh thank you rabbi b becca walker our dear friend and friend of the pod first (laughs) official guest of the pod um but not last but not last yeah uh we miss you josh but we're happy that becca could be here and uh tune in next week uh for next week's mind locks
2: word peace out
1: Also, you guys got to go to this party, spirituality retreat. It was amazing. It was amazing. The
2: meditation one?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, life changing.
2: (laughs) I think it's all silent. It's silent, though, isn't it? It was
1: so good. Dear,
2: you look so uncomfortable. You have to
1: be silent, but, like, you get taught things. It's so, Adir, like, it's so good.